RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. The bowl season is officially here. It's time for Rush the Field, the college football podcast for you college football fans. I'm Scott Seidenberg, alongside veteran coach, scout, and consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. Chris, the bowl mania is starting. It's my favorite time of the year because starting Saturday, there's games pretty much on every single day. Yeah, there is. And for the folks that say, well, there are too many bowl games. Well, first of all, you don't have to watch them. It's, it's nothing that says you got to spend your time doing it. Go watch a meaningless NBA game if you want. That, that's fine. you know. But, but to me, um, when you think about what bowl games mean, and, and, and it's a, the games that we're going to talk about that are kicking it off. It's, it's Louisiana Lafayette and Tulane who rarely get to go to a bowl game. An Eastern Michigan, a Georgia Southern. Um, Utah State, North Texas, this is not an every-year occurrence. They don't have the tie-ins to bowl games like other conferences do. They rarely get to go. So for their kids going to a bowl game, it is as as exciting as a big-time school going to a Rose Bowl or a Sugar Bowl or maybe even making the playoffs because this is as good as it can get when you go to those schools. They get a lot of free stuff. They get to spend a lot of time with their teammates. It's a it's a last Hurrah for the, most of these guys that are uh, seniors because they're not going to play football ever again. It, it's a great time and event. And, and the, the cities that host them, they do a lot of good charity work. So to me, there's nothing bad about them. I think we can make the bowl games better. But I think the fact that we have them, if they can afford to have them, um, great. And it is, you know, programming for ESPN, quite mm, frankly, absolutely. all the bowl games and, and it is something that something neat about, you know, particularly as we get into Christmas week and between Christmas and New Year's, a lot of people are off. And I don't know, there's just something like day baseball is fun. You know, <laughs> day football yes, is fun. You're during the holidays. absolutely right. <laughs> pop a game on and all of a sudden you got, you know, now, you know, we start this Saturday with some games, but then and you have some weeknight games. But then you, you get to, you know, like a, the Friday the 21st. Got an afternoon game from the Bahamas, oh, yeah, or the or the what, Crystal Wednesday after Christmas. You get boys uh, Boston College against Boise State yeah. at one thirty in the afternoon. I mean, yeah. what's better than that? And then you got Georgia Tech, Minnesota yeah. after that. Then you got Cal, uh, the TCU. And I always look at bowl games this way from a coaching standpoint. I mention this a lot, but it is sixteen bowl practices that you have. It is so important for the development of your program that you go to bowl games. Mm-hmm. It's like having an extra spring practice. And I always looked at it this way, that preparing for a bowl game, unless you're in the playoffs or in the old days, the BCS, the bowl games are really the first game of next year. It's a chance where during bowl practices where you have a lot of time, you can put new things in. You can focus on playing a lot of young guys since a lot of draft eligible guys are going to be not participating which is another story altogether. Yep, like we'll get, to get into that in just a second. Um, it, it allows you to say, all right, young guys, this is your team now. This is your first game to next year. And then for the guys that are playing their last game, you you, you want to win it for them. You know, Johnny, Bill, and Joe, they're, they're, they've, you know, gone to battle with you guys. Send them out a winner. I think it's a good thing. It's all positive to me. And as I said, if you're not crazy about the games that are, you know, between seven and five and – Two seven and five teams. Well, then again, don't watch it. it, it it's it's not man. It's not mandatory, but it certainly beats uh, not having as many of them. Because I can go back into days where you only had about eight bowl games, and then then you went into to about the eight or ten. And now it's not as big to make a bowl game. It's a lot easier to make them. But I think it's a good reward for a lot of programs um, that that again allows them to give them more practice and and build their program for the future. Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned it. A lot of draft-eligible guys are going to be sitting out, and this has become a trend that has gotten more and more popular each and every year. The big name this year, Will Greer, is not going to play for West Virginia, among other players, but he was the one that the articles came out about last week. Me personally, Chris, I don't have a problem with this. Now, I originally did. I'm not going to lie. I did flip-flop because 
when it first came out, I think it was with Christian McCaffrey when he decided not to play for Stanford and a couple other players. I was bothered Leonard by Fournette. it. Yeah. Leonard Fournette, exactly. I was bothered by it a little bit. I'll admit it. And for me, I was bothered because I thought it was just one more opportunity for you to go out there and fight with your teammates. You've gone through this grind throughout the entire season for sometimes multiple seasons with your brothers. And if they're going through this motion of practicing and preparing and getting ready to do battle on the field, you should be a part of that. But when you look at the business aspect of this, I completely understand it because if you are a commodity and you know your value right now and the value is not going to change based off a bowl game performance, then don't run the risk of injury and sit out and prepare for the draft and move on. Because you are already done. Some of these kids, the seniors, they might have already graduated by the time that they, you know, the classes are done. The semester's over and they're traveling for these bowl games. They still go, be a part of the festivities, be with your team, do all that stuff. But if you don't want to play in the game because you don't want to run the risk of getting hurt before the combine next year, then by all means, sit out. I have no problem with that, especially when you consider these kids do not make any money. Well, I certainly understand the viewpoint and certainly with the the perspective of the players, and I've learned to accept it. I don't have to like it. I'm old school. I think. Which is yeah. where I was, Chris. And then I, I've come around. Like I said, when, I, for, when it first started, I was very against it. But now I've come around and I understand the player's perspective. Well, and, and I guess for me, um, you know, growing up in a, in a different era and playing, I, I – the opportunity to play football games. I, 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 as an old man now, I'd go out there and, and, and put on pads one more time just to do it with my teammates again because that's how I grew up. I mean, you know, I did it as a marginal player and ran scout team and, and didn't, didn't get an opportunity to play a whole lot because that's what I was. That was my lot. So, it's it, I, it, listen, I get it. I understand the business part of it. Um, I think, you know, strapping it on with your teammates – um, is, is just something that I couldn't pass up. I mean, the opportunity to do it would just be too great for me, but I think we're, we are living in a different era. And so I, I wouldn't do it and I don't like it, but I don't necessarily hold it against the kids because I do understand. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm going to take it back to a couple of situations. Mainly the most recent one is Jalen Smith in the Fiesta bowl, Notre Dame against Ohio state. He tears up his knee Correct. in that bowl game. And it just, Every agent used that as an opportunity to say, you don't want to play. What does the game really mean? And if you think about it now, you have some of those situations where some of the guys shut it down towards the end of the year. So what, what are we really doing? We're saying, hey, look, it re- the only thing that matters is if you make the playoffs. Oh, Scott, most people are not going to make the playoffs. So when does it end? Is somebody going to say, you know what? We haven't had a great year. I'm not going to play in our rivalry game in November because that's coming. I mean, don't think it's not coming. Mm-hmm. It, it it doesn't stop. So, listen, I get it. And and it's one of those things. I'm not a fence strider, okay? Um, I understand they've got a lot at stake. And if you're a high pick and you've got a lot of ability, first of all, a lot of guys, I think playing in a bowl game and, and being successful can, can help your stock, but not dramatically. One game is not going to make or break you. And the run of risk of an injury is there and it is in their minds and they're they're thinking about their future i can't blame them for that i can't say boy that makes them bad or that makes them selfish i just will say that i really admire the hell out of the guys that say you know what the hell with i'm going to play with my teammates because that opportunity means a lot to me i would be dishonest if i said anything otherwise i tend to look at those guys a little bit differently and say now, that's my type of guy. Mm. Now, again, that's just me. That's just, hey, folks, that doesn't mean I'm right. Or, no, no, no. That's just how I feel about it. It's no different than any other belief that somebody has versus another. I just see it. I, I don't like the trend. It's one of the issues that I've said. And I don't want to go off on a tangent here. I tend to do that. I know. <laughs> I, I don't. I, 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 it's one of the things that I think if we made the bowl games a little bit more meaningful, that maybe they'd want to play more. If you think about this, Scott, I know it is unheard of five, ten years ago that a guy would not play in a bowl game. So think about that for a second. Now, 
it's okay in some people's eyes. And, and, and again, I, I'm okay with understanding it. Now, where does it go from there? When, you know, hey, you know, I, I thought it was ridiculous to think of somebody sitting out his senior year. Is that really out of the realm of possibility now? No, Could we see a guy we, do that? Well, we just yeah. saw it. We just saw uh, Nick Bosa who was not going to come back because of injury, decide, I'm not even going to try to come back from injury. Well, but that's a little different situation. I'm thinking about, and I can't remember the kid's name for the the life of me right now. It was about three years ago. It was Jadevian Clowney. Everyone thought that he should sit out. No, 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 I'm not talking about Clowney. You're right. That was the talk, but he never considered that. But there was a kid at Oklahoma about four years ago, and this kid was a late-round pick. I mean, he was a fifth-round value guy, sixth-round value guy. After four games, he had a minor little deal, and he said, you know, and he was cleared, and he got back out. He said, I, I'm done. He says, I, I'm not going to play anymore. I, I'm just going to – I mean, so this has happened already, and it, and it just hasn't been as prevalent. So my point is, is I don't know that. Let's take Will Greer, and this is a unique situation because we don't see quarterbacks sit out. You know, no. we see other guys. This is kind of new. That's which is, where, which is to me, it's the it's the most interesting one because quarterbacks sometimes the top guys don't throw at the combine, and that bo- I mean it bothers me because I want everybody to throw. I think there's a competition aspect to that combine you want to throw, but if you're not going to throw at the combine, don't you want to throw in this game and and have one more game of passing to showcase well, yourself? Yeah, but you know it's more than that. It's deeper than that. It's it's about competing. I get it. There's the risk of injury. But so what does it say about you at some point? Okay, you don't want to compete here. So, I mean, what do you do if you're in a contract year and, and, and I'm running an NFL team and you're in a contract year? Are you going to want to sit out the last four games because mm. you don't want to get hurt? I mean, Le'Veon Bell, right? Yeah, I, yep. mean, I mean, so this is uh, my point is, is this is where we're going and while I understand it, I want to bring out some things that these are unintended consequences because a lot of people say, ah, oh, that's no big deal. I understand that. They're going to turn around and say, what the hell happened? Mm-hmm. You know, where all these guys are, they're not playing anymore. And I'm telling you, it's going to get to the point where they're going to, if the season doesn't get off to a good start, boom, week five, we're going to see some guy, you know, do a Nick Bosa, but without the injury. Mm-hmm. Then, then. Then what is that going to be? And I, I just something about it that just the old school guy in me gives me the heebie-jeebies to think about the fact that uh, you like that heebie-jeebies guy. I like that. Uh, <laughs> it just makes me very uncomfortable with the the fact that well, I don't want to use the term that that they're not hanging in there with their team. I don't want to use the Q word, but. Because I don't think, I think that's a little strong, but yet, is it? It's just, it's one of those deals. Look, if you want to bypass um, a Camping World Bowl game, that's one thing. But but again, it usually doesn't end there. It usually is a little bit more. Now, we're not going to play in this game because, well, it do, it's not going to decide the Big 12 championship. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to, you know, we, we've lost three games, so what? I don't know. That just to me doesn't sit right with the competitive nature, and yet I understand the volatility, the 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 by nature having to be selfish and look out for number one. I have a hard time. I I understand it, but but let me put it to you this way, Scott. I understand it. I, I respect the fact that that's what they wanted. I respect their decision. I don't have to like it though. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's <laughs> it's absolutely fair. I wanted to talk about the All-American teams that were announced uh, this past week, Chris. And some part of this goes into my argument for the Heisman Trophy. I I thought that Tua was going to win. I thought he should have won, considering he's the best player on the best team in the best conference and only took eight dropbacks in the fourth quarter this year. Uh, And he had over 200 snaps less than Kyler Murray throughout the entire season and still put up the 37 touchdowns. But that's neither here nor there. We're not going to debate Kyler Murray versus Tua Tungavailoa. Congratulations to Kyler Murray. He's your Heisman Trophy winner. We'll see him in Major League Baseball in three years from now. The All-American teams came out and solidified, if you had any doubt in your mind, the best conference in college football, it was solidified. 
20 total All-American selections from the SEC. 12 first-team All-Americans from the SEC. The next most from a conference, the Big Ten had five first-team selections. The ACC had 10 total selections. That was the second most to the SEC's 20 total selections. It's not even close anymore, Chris. The SEC is the predominant football conference. Well, there's no question about it. And, you know, we are a week away from National Signing Day. And when we're talking about the best high school players, and I'm, I'm working on a lot of stuff on LandryFootball.com as we speak with the commitment uh, list by conference, and, and obviously we're going to update it as they sign. 80% of the players, by the way, are going to sign in December. And we'll break down the quality in, uh, of each class. And as I look at it right now, uh, you can take the top uh, five or six class. Out of the top ten, you'll probably have six or seven SEC schools out of the top ten. Hmm. So when people say, yeah, well, uh, you know, South Carolina had a top 15 class. Yeah, they're like about ninth in the league. You know, that that's that's where it is. And, look, it is, if you look at, the facilities. Um, it is largely the best facilities. The 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 high paid coaches, uh, the recruiting budgets, the 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 corridor from Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Carolinas, all those interconnecting states. Just that is the most uh, talented area around. Texas, Florida, Georgia probably the most fertile along with California. That's the only one that doesn't fit states individually in the country. And they are all in that same region. And you, you got a, 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 a state like Louisiana where I'm from has more players in the NFL per capita than any state in the union. The players are located in that area. They by and large go to those schools and they, they do a great job of coaching and developing players at the high school level. They do a great job at the, at the college level they play in an elite conference. Um, they, they get a lot of notoriety, and it just feeds the monster of better recruits, better recruits, more coaching, more money, and, and it just is that's the way it is. And when we sit here and have a conversation following April's draft, uh, we're going to talk for the umpteenth year in a row, the school that has the conference that has the most players drafted will be the SEC. SEC. Mm-hmm. And so – why wouldn't we expect it to be a predominance of players of the best players in the country as voted on um, by any list? No question about it. It is, it is definitely preponderance of SEC talent. And, and there are good players everywhere. There's just more of them in the SEC. Well, tell and us. That's what's tough, you tell, know. tell us right now, Chris. Is Trey Sanders going to go to Alabama? Where, where is he going? Well, you know, I, <laughs> listen, I, I think that, and by the way, uh, and, and just to give you an idea how it works, it is. Uh, it is a big time get. Uh, there was the the best player in the state of Alabama, Clay Webb, uh, a great center. I mean, a just an outstanding, strong as an ox. Just committed to Georgia. He he's from Oxford, Alabama, which is kind of halfway between Athens and, mm-hmm. and Birmingham. But that was big because rarely does a player. Uh, Alabama is the most provincial state. It is tougher to go into the state of Alabama. And get a player from Alabama uh, away from Alabama or Auburn if they want them. Now you, there are plenty of good players, and you can go sign them from Alabama, but only because Alabama recruits nationally, and to some degree, Auburn is so close to Georgia, they recruit a lot of players. There's some players they don't offer in the state. You can get those, but you don't get a player out of the state of Alabama that Alabama or Auburn want. So great get by Georgia, but uh, yeah, Alabama looks like they're going to. They've strengthened. Their recruiting class, they just flipped a, you know, two players in the secondary, one from Michigan and one from A&M, uh, Alabama, A&M, and Georgia, in, any, uh, in, in that order or have the best recruiting classes going, again, all from the SEC. So um, pretty, pretty good run here, and it only gets stronger. And I love it how classifications now have changed on players. Like quarterbacks are listed as pro-style quarterback, dual-threat right. quarterback. Some players are just listed as athletes. Correct. And, and, you know, those are the guys that they could be quarterbacks or they wind up being wide receivers or cornerbacks. Just, right. you know, it's the type of players that, you know, you put the football in their hands and they're going to do something special with it. Absolutely. And, you know, because in high school, very often you're on a system where you put your best, best athlete at quarterback mm-hmm. and you may not be a quarterback, but then you kind of make a determination, as you mentioned, could be a corner, could be 
uh, receiver, could be a running back, depending upon the size, skill set. And so, yeah, that, that that is definitely on everybody's board. They have an athlete category, but you always have an idea where you want to play them, um, and, and you have that conversation with them in the recruiting process. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and, and you know what? You're seeing more the, the, the drop-back guy, uh, or, you know, they call pro-style drop-back guy. They, they're getting few and far few, between yep, because they're now they're getting mm-hmm. more and more athletic where you're seeing the dual-threat guy that can do more things yep. and run the offenses, the RPOs, and and whatnot in the college game that are so prevalent. And the number one, and we'll get to the recruiting next week, of course, but just real quick, the number one pro-style kid is uh, Bo Nix, who is going to Auburn, or at least he's a verbal commit to Auburn. Yes. So, um, And what a quarterback name that is, huh? Bo yeah, Nix. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, that kid had quarterback written on him when he came out of the womb named Bo Nix. You yeah, know? No, 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 no question about it. And and it's, uh, you know, that he's a, he really an outstanding young young prospect. And uh, if you're looking at uh, you know guys that that are that can come in and help, he's outstanding. So and and as we as we're taping this this um, this podcast, uh, one of the big the the best remaining guys that's still out there is a defensive end out of California Westlake Village, um, Oak Christian High School is Kayvon Thibodeau. Mm. Um, he's a big five star guy, and Oregon has been kind of where it's thought he was going to go, but Florida State's in it. And as we speak, I just got a text from. The Florida State is in the home of the young man tonight trying to flip him. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see how this uh, this plays out down the stretches. Uh, listen, the fates of these programs, the success of being able to get these guys and develop them, um, this is this is how you this is how you get it done. And no you know question. something, Chris? Much like we've seen in the NFL, where rookies are coming in expecting to play and have an impact right away. You're seeing that more and more now in college football where traditionally these kids would get redshirted and they wouldn't play. But now with early signing period, they're enrolling in school early. They're in the program in the spring. They participate all throughout the spring. And then when it comes to the following September for them to start their freshman year, you have guys like Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. These guys are playing as freshmen as opposed to being redshirted. Well, and the reason for that is they're great. They're, <laughs> yeah. where they, first of all, they're all the seven on sevens. Yep. So they're getting a lot of work and uh, they don't stay in college long. They all leave early. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes you can redshirt a guy if he's a guy that needs some, to, you know, LSU obviously uh, brought Joe Brower in. So they, they redshirted Miles Brennan. But for a guy like Justin Fields, he's not going to be there that long. So, you know, you you want to get him on the field because you got him for three years if if everything goes well. So so you're not going to the, the chances of redshirting uh, are just are less and less. So you know you don't have that. But there there's some interesting kids. You know, I know that uh, uh, there's a kid from Overland Park, Kansas, that Wisconsin's got um, South Carolina's got one of the best quarterbacks in the country from uh, Orange, California, Arizona State, and um, Herm Edwards got another one, another one from Mission VAL. You mentioned Bo Nix. Mm. Uh, so there, there's, some, there's some really good ones out there. Washington's got one in the Washington area, the, the Dylan Morris kid that's a, that's a really good player. So, yeah, there's some, like any year, there's, there's very good ones. And here's the other thing about quarterbacks is you really got to know how to recruit strategically because you got to almost get one every year even if you don't need one because you've got to anticipate and you got to know your roster and know which ones are going to going to transfer. So you recruit a kid and if you get two in the same class, you can pretty much guarantee they're not both staying there. One of them's going to leave, whether it's leave early as a graduate transfer or with the new transfer rule, just out and not leave. So you almost have to make sure that, you know, someone comes in you stagger it to where you always have a quality backup that can come in, but maybe somebody that's lagging behind at least a class, if not two, so that, you know, they will stay with the idea that their time is coming as opposed to running concurrent with the other guy that we're both sophomores mm-hmm. and I'm never going to play. Guys just learn, just like we said before, you know, it used to be in the day, you'd ne- you wouldn't leave school. You went and you committed to a school. You stayed at a school. You didn't play. You kept fighting. That's not the way it is today. You know, I'm recruited and I'm told I'm great. Uh, all of a sudden, if I don't play, I'm going somewhere else. Taking my ball and I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else. That's that's just the, the nature of the game. Well, speaking of leaving school, it's the end of an era for the second time, but this time it's going to be final. 
And Bill Snyder retiring from Kansas State, of course, started there in 1989, did retire in 2005, but after a couple of years away, returned to the program in 2009 and has been there, obviously, ever since. 215 wins, 117 losses, and one tie, Chris. Uh, Two Big 12 championships uh, total, four Big 12 North Division titles, three Big 8 Coach of the Year awards, four-time Big 12 Coach of the Year award, and the Paul uh, Bear Bryant Award winner in 1998, also the Walter Camp Coach of the Year award that same year. Uh, this guy is a, he's already a Hall of Famer, but could, could, could the accolades even get any further for Bill Snyder? No, I, I tell you, um, you know, first of all, you think about this, put this in perspective. You know, it's uh, it, it's you know, 27 years and two different tenures. It's just the third head coach in nearly three decades. College football mm-hmm. doesn't me? happen. This does not happen. You know, a lot's been said about Bill Snyder and what he did at Kansas State and how great it was and how remarkable it was. Let me tell you, I don't know that that I or anyone can put it in words how bad Kansas State was. I don't even, there's not anybody that I can really, in in the power five, that I can say is as bad as Kansas State was at that point. Um, No, Kansas right now or none of those, you know, Rutgers right now, no. Not not even close to as bad as Kansas State was. It was when Oklahoma and Nebraska would play them, it was literally they would get uh, better games from, uh, you know, at lower level opponents uh, than than against Kansas State. It was beyond horrific uh, how bad they were. I mean, it was all they could do to stop scoring 100 on them. I mean, it was that bad. For Bill Snyder to come in, he was on a great, I mean, a great coaching staff at Iowa uh, under Hayden Fry and got the job and embraced it. And, you know, like most say, we're going to do this and do that. And, you know, well, yeah, right. You know, I mean, it's Kansas State. And he goes in and let me tell you quickly how he did it. He went in with the idea that, you, and this is, a, I think, a good lesson for programs like this that really have no history and no tradition. We got to find a way to create a tradition. Well, how do you do it? Well, he scheduled very weak teams to start the season. He'd play Eastern Illinois, Western Illinois, Southern Illinois, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and it used to be Northern Illinois before they got, I mean, he would just schedule four wins because he realized that he needed to find a way to get at least four wins and, and gradually get the team well enough to where they can win maybe one, maybe two games and get bowl eligible Smart. so that he could get to what? Those bowl practices that mm-hmm. we talked about. And he did it. Then the other thing he did, he learned how to recruit two junior colleges. For people who don't follow recruiting, Kansas is one of the best junior college programs in the state. They're, the Jayhawk League is phenomenal. Hutchinson and, and um, Garden City, on and on and on. Great, great junior colleges. Well, he took guys, quite frankly, let's call it like it is, that academically didn't qualify, that wasn't able to you know, you couldn't get into Kansas State, couldn't get any. So what he did, he sent kids like that to junior colleges in Kansas. And basically he would set up, you know, he'd have he'd he'd basically keep up with those kids. And what they would do is they'd have a plan to get him developed as a football player. And again, it's a good football program. And then they would work with the kid to get him competent enough to be able to do four year college type academic work. And then he'd come out of it after a year, certainly two years, and he'd bring those guys to Kansas State in a couple of years. Some of those guys were really good. Some of these guys were really, really good players, but quite frankly, they couldn't get in academically. He found a way to get it done, and he had a plan to get them into curriculums to where they could get a degree. No, they weren't going to be rocket scientists, folks, but they were going to get a degree. They could function and go on and get jobs in life, but they also were eligible to play football for two, sometimes three years, and all of a sudden, you had a good player here. You had a playmaker there. You had a couple of guys that, you know, big-time receiver here. You, you get, you know, I don't want to play any name. You get a Michael Bishop, you know. You get, all of a sudden, now you got a few of those players. Now you're playing maybe, maybe now, they then they improved their schedule a little, in a little. And before you know it, they were winning, you know, eight games mm-hmm. a year. 
And, and uh, there you go. You got your program. The other thing is they had no expectations at Kansas State. Uh, no one ever said, well, the guy's only winning five games a year. Well, no one ever won there. So mm-hmm. he, he had the patience that maybe was not given to others at bigger programs. But what he did was just phenomenal. And when he left and Ron Prince took over, the program went down and he came back. And he hasn't been as good since he's come back, but it was better than when Ron had it. And now, obviously, it's going to be interesting to see somebody other than him roam the sidelines and see where the program uh, takes it. And, uh, of course, Gene Taylor, who's the athletic director at Kansas State, was at North Dakota State and was the guy that promoted Chris Kleiman, um, Kleeman rather, to the head job uh, when Craig Bull moved on uh, to Wyoming. So, listen, there's a pedigree there, a good young coach, and I think they'll be patient and understanding that you, you're not expected to win eight or nine games a year. Yeah, and we remember that that Michael Bishop team that year. Michael Bishop, oh. uh, you know, he was like, a, I think he was the runner-up for the Heisman that year. He had he, a he phenomenal season. And we're talking about a year, I think that was, so if that was 1998, 98. we're talking, so Danny Werfel was 97 we're talking, who would 98? 98, 90, Eric Crouch was 99. Um, I'm, 98. Trying to, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. It would have been Peyton Manning and uh, so Michael Bishop. Wow, did I just go? Ricky Williams. Ricky Williams. Uh, yeah. 98. Yeah, that yeah. would have been, uh, that would have been right. Yep. Yeah. I and think then, that, that's uh, right. Look at me. I bounced around. Did I? Oh, no. Ron Dane was 99, by the way. I said Eric Crouch. Um, Crouch was 2000, I think. So, uh, yeah, me and my Heisman trivia. Um, but that Michael Bishop, and then just look at the, some of the other players that obviously have, have played on the Terrence Newman, Darren Sproles, Jordy Nelson, uh, recent guy, Tyler Lockett. You know, these are all Kansas State guys um, who, and you might not think of Manhattan, Kansas as an NFL factory, but there are a no. ton of guys that have played in the league that no, were that's under Bill Snyder. Right. That's absolutely right. Yeah, you mentioned uh, it was Ricky. Ricky had that great year, mm-hmm. that year in 98. No, I, no, listen, he's he was able to get, you know, he developed players very well. They were well coached. He ran a ball control offense, so he could take a game and shorten it and and just kind of compress the game out of out of you. And and he did that to a lot of people and and put you know had some big upsets. No question, some big upsets that um, he ruined a lot of people's uh, seasons in the Big Twelve. Uh, and had a couple. Of, listen, they were also a game away from being in the BCS one year. And yeah. Think about that for a second. So. Uh, just, just a phenomenal job. Can't say enough. Uh, very unique guy. A, uh, a, uh, a very, um, you know, very unique guy on how he ran his program. Very, very meticulous. And um, he'll be, he'll be around, uh, and will we'll be kind of an ambassador to the program. And uh, certainly going to be somebody that uh, that is always going to be remembered. And he found his niche and was never someone that ever considered leaving. Uh, that was his program. It, uh, it. When you think of Kansas State football, there's only one name you think of. Mm-hmm. It is Bill Snyder. And it was much like, quite frankly, when you think of Florida State football, it was Bobby Bowden. Correct. They weren't successful prior to that. Now, as time goes on, um, you know, we may be talking about a guy that's done a really good job. But this is, this is uh, in a day and age of where you've got great programs, this was a program that was uh, anything but. And uh, he, he put his name on it. That's why it's... Uh, it's a Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Yep. Well, tell us about Chris Kleiman now. The North Dakota State Bison's head coach is going to be taking over at Kansas State. Well, you know, he's really good um, coach on that staff for years. Worked with Craig Bull. He's got a um, three national championships, three national titles, sixty-seven and six. Uh, they've got great facilities at North Dakota State. You know, relative to, to what they have, it's 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 right near the top. I mean, it's. It's the Alabama of that level. And so he knows how to run a program. They play in the uh, Fargo Dome. Fargo Dome. The place and, is insane. <laughs> and their, their football operation center is like really, really good. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's power five looking uh, in, in most respects. Um, so he knows how to run a program. He's going to, I can tell you, he's going to build it from the ground up. He's going to build it with recruiting. He's going to build it with good coaching and developing guys. He understands that it's not, you know, he's not going to go and get five stars there. But what he's going to do is, again, try to get those three-star guys as much as he can and develop those guys. And uh, it's it, to me, that's what Kansas State can be now. And the other thing that Snyder did with his success is the facilities are upgraded. Mm-hmm. And the money that you get in from the league, uh, they they do some things very nicely. 
there's no reason why Kansas State and um, Chris can't do what uh, Matt Campbell's done at uh, at Iowa State. I mean, you know, and, and done a nice job going to bowl games, and uh, that is sustainable at Kansas State. You can do that. Um, you know, I don't know that you, again, should anticipate winning uh, nine games a year, you know, but maybe eight every now and then, and, and certainly winning seven most years if you schedule correctly uh, is doable. So I think he'll do a good job there. And, you know, I get this a lot. People have some concerns about, well, you know, my concern is if he gets the job, you know, then if he's successful, he'll go somewhere else. So what? That's what you want. Yeah. You want a you want a coach that somebody else is going to come and try to hire because that means you're doing well. Mm-hmm. What you don't want is someone that no one wants to hire. That means he's not doing a good job for you. Um, you know, people have asked me, well, uh, Brent Venables would have been the better pick. Well, Brent Venables is the defensive coordinator at uh, at Clemson. He's a Kansas State grad. Uh, my understanding, while I don't know, I can't sit there and say they they were overly interested. But I can tell you this, that the timing wasn't right for Brent. He's got his son that's on the Clemson team, and he's committed to staying there. So I'm, I wouldn't say that, uh, that Brent wouldn't be interested in this job at some point, but the timing just wasn't right there. Jim Levitt, who's done a great job, did a great job at uh, South Florida and is now at, um, at Oregon as defensive coordinator, is someone with Kansas State ties that, uh, that made some sense, too. But um, uh, this is the direction that they wanted to go, and no question about it, the connection with Dean Taylor, uh, with Chris, uh, was the reason that this deal was consummated. All right, let's get to the games this weekend to begin bowl season. We'll start Saturday, Tulane and the Raging Cajuns of Louisiana in the Cure Bowl, that one being played at Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Tulane. Three-and-a-half-point favorites in this game. I don't know much about both of these teams, Chris, because, you know, one's a Sun Belt team and I guess, what, Tulane Conference USA? So, or no, uh, they're in the American American now. Athletic, yeah, yes. yeah, you know. Is well, there even a Conference USA anymore? I don't, yeah, yeah, there is. There, that's there right, is. UAB won the Conference USA. Correct, we'll get to correct. UAB, though, coming up. Uh, Tulane against Louisiana Lafayette. What do you think? Well, I think that, it, first of all, it's it's a great game for, you know, the rivalry factor. They don't play one another, even though uh, they're in, in South Louisiana, from southwest to southeast part of the state, they've played in a couple of bowl games, namely the New Orleans Bowl in the past, with a lot of fun. I'd be curious to see how many people will, will get to this game, though, in Florida. Two lanes a little bit better. I like their running game a little bit better, and, and I worry about uh, Louisiana Lafayette's ability to defend the run, but I can tell you that both of these guys, and, and let me say this, when you're talking about candidates for openings and in, in, uh, in places uh, uh, that, that, that had openings like, you know, at uh, Kansas State, for example, Willie Fritz uh, is, a, is, is a really good coach uh, that is, gonna, is ready to make that next step. He's the head coach at Tulane. He's done a really good job. Um, got a good running game. And Billy Napier, a, a Nick Saban disciple, doing a good job at Louisiana Lafayette. They lost out to Appalachian State in the Sun Belt. Um, this game will be pretty close. They'll think there'll be a high energy in this game, but I think it's going to come down to the ability of Tulane to be able to run the football a little bit better, and that ought to be the difference. Okay, one of the most underrated games that I think people that don't watch college football regularly are not going to care about, but this is in, a, in this is going to be an amazing game. North Texas and Utah State, two o'clock. It's the New Mexico Bowl from Albuquerque. Utah State can score the football, Chris. There was a stretch throughout this season where they were covering point spreads in every single game that they played, I think, until that Colorado State game where they they won by uh, less than a touchdown. But this is a team, the Aggies put up points. They score 70, 60, 60, 50. And I'm very much looking forward to watching them take the field against North Texas. Yeah, they should have beaten Michigan State. I mean, they really uh, they, they had some struggles there at the end, but they had a great chance to beat And them. North Texas, by the way, is an eight-point favorite in this game. So. Yes, well, a lot of it has to do with Matt Wells leaving Utah State to take the Texas Tech job. And I think there's some of that concern that how is that going to affect it? It's one of the other problems we have in bowl games and the timing of the college calendar year is that you have some coaches that leave as well. Why people always say, why shouldn't the players sit out and look for themselves? So I get that part of it. This is a really good Utah State team. I think they're better than North Texas, but I do wonder about how they're going to react in this game and their preparation. It's not just, well, the coach is not there. What are they going to do in the game? It's just the distractions and the coaches on the staff and who's going to stay and who's going to go to tech and 
who's going to stay behind and coach the game, but mm-hmm. you're going to have to recruit for Texas Tech. The distractions and the preparation, you never know how this is going to play out. North Texas is another team that can score the football a bunch. You're correct. This should be a whole lot of fun and a whole lot of points to kick <laughs> off the bowl season. This will be this will be really, really exciting. I hope that we get Utah State's best performance. My concern is that we won't. Yeah, total in that game, 68 and a half. So it's going to be a shootout there in Albuquerque. At uh, 3.30 Eastern time, number 21, Fresno State against Arizona State and Herm Edwards in the Las Vegas Bowl at Sam Boyd Stadium. Pretty soon, I would expect that bowl game to move to the new Raiders Stadium once that gets completed, uh, unless they decide to keep it at Sam Boyd for some reason. But Fresno State, what a tremendous year they had. They are four-point favorites. I lean towards them in this matchup against Herm Edwards' uh, Sun Devils. Well, I'll tell you what, this this uh, Fresno State team has been outstanding all year long. Jeff Detford, uh, this is his alma mater. He took a program that really started to, to regress and has done a really good job um, last year and then this year has been outstanding. Uh, Marcus Marion is a really good quarterback, but it's the defense that's done a very good job. Um, and the two losses were on the road, Minnesota and Boise by just seven points. This is a really good team um, and, and certainly may be a surprise by some people if they're able to win this game. But as you're alluding to, this this Fresno State team is really good. Uh, Arizona State, what can you say about Herm Edwards? He's done a really good job. Um, you know, I, I think that um, team plays really hard. Um, you, uh, folks, one of the best receivers in the country, if you haven't seen him, Keneal, um, uh, Nikhil Harry, uh, rather, is a really good player. You know, Benjamin's a good running back. Uh, again, should be a really good game in a West Coast-style matchup of Mountain West team, a Pac-12 team. Uh, this this is, a, this is a bigger game, obviously, for Fresno in terms of they, they get those type of programs that they can beat a Pac-12 team. They really thrive on that. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Temper, what a tremendous job he's done. And if you're watching that game and you're curious what that big green V on their helmets mean, it's for the San Joaquin Valley. That's right. That's, That's what right. it's for. I remember when um, David Carr was the quarterback at Fresno State, and I was watching all those games, and I'm like, what the heck is that V on their helmet for? Yeah, that was <laughs> that was put together by my good buddy, Pat Hill, who used to be the head coach at Fresno State. We worked together with the Browns on Bill Belichick's staff, and uh, that whole area is, was kind of like, I, it, you know, when, when Howard Schnellenberger went to Miami, he called that, that whole area in South Florida, he called it the state of Miami. Kind of made it state. That's what uh, Fresno State did in its own area. This this valley area was um, was that this is our area, and so that was kind of the things that was their version. Just like you know, Iowa's put the American Needs Formers ANF sticker on their helmets. Yep. That that's kind of their mantra there. But that was Pat Hill that did that, who was. Uh, uh, very much a valley guy himself, man. Yeah, it's yeah, cool, and, man. and they they generally, I mean, the, all the money. The, the, the school, the, 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 that, that area survives because of the school. Yeah. That's exactly, you know, people don't understand that. Like that, that school generates all the money for that area. So that's, that's exactly right. Very the campus and the, mm-hmm. every, everybody on campus, it, it definitely is the, the biggest supplier of, uh, of jobs in, in that whole area. Let's talk about the uh, Camellia Bowl in uh, Montgomery at the Crampton Bowl. That's an interesting stadium there. Um, Georgia Southern against Eastern Michigan. Georgia Southern, a slight one-point favorite. Uh, I don't have a read on this game because I don't know much about Georgia Southern. Well, Georgia Southern Georgia Southern runs that option offense. And, um, you know, they didn't lose a game except for the Clemson game um, until November. Uh, but then, then they really struggled with some injuries, lost to ULM and Troy, mm-hmm. um, in, in, in a blowout win uh, over Appalachian State. The defense is pretty good, um, but, you know, it's because the offense controls the football. So the key is going to be, can Eastern Michigan get off the field um, in this game? Because it definitely wants to be a ball control. So think Navy, think Army in terms of the style. That's what you get with Georgia Southern. For Eastern Michigan, I, I got to give a lot of credit to them. Um, this was the worst program in the MAC for quite a long time. Um, they they really have done a nice job getting this program on the map. They they lost to Army in a similar option attack, so mm-hmm. that that's where I think you know they're going to have to really make some adjustments. And um, you know they 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 did a pretty good job against Purdue. Uh, they they haven't beaten a lot of good teams, but when you consider 
they were the worst of the MAC for a long time. The fact that they're going bowling is outstanding. And by the way, the Crampton Bowl is, I spend many a Christmas day in Montgomery, Alabama, in the Crampton Bowl, because that's where the Blue Gray game was for yes. years and years and years. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. That's where it was. Uh, it's great there. Uh, Appalachian State hosting Mid-Tennessee, and that's in the New Orleans Bowl, Mercedes-Benz uh, Superdome there. Uh, Appalachian State, seven-point favorites. To me, it's the Mountaineers, and it's the Mountaineers all the way in this one, Chris. Well, and this is another situation, though, you'll wonder about Appalachian State. Scott Satterfield has left to take the Louisville job, and you got another one of those preparation issues. Uh, uh, we know what Appalachian State, did, uh, Appalachian State did. Really played Penn State week one. And mm-hmm. Should have won that game. Win that yeah. game. Um, it, we talked about Georgia Southern. They struggled against Georgia Southern's option attack, which, again, is, is an ominous sign for Eastern Michigan. But it's, it's a really good team, um, really well coached. Just you wonder about their preparation here. Middle Tennessee, obviously the great story. And, um, you know, Rick Stock still and his son, uh, Brent, the quarterback, who's been there seemingly forever. They go out their last game. It's going to mean a lot for them. They stumbled in the Conference USA Championship game against UAB. No, no, um, no shame there. Uh, they, they struggled against Florida International this year when I watched them, but it was a really good season. It's a good, well-balanced offense, really good passing game. Uh, they did lose to Vanderbilt. They lost to Georgia, and they lost to Kentucky. Uh, no, no slouches there, mm-hmm. but they, they beat uh, pretty much everybody that they should have beaten this year. Um, you know, they, they played well last year against Arkansas State in the bowl game. This is one of those, again, Appalachian State's a better team, but I just wonder in terms of preparation and the distractions, will that make a difference in this game, I give Middle Tennessee mm-hmm. a better chance okay. than I would have, you know, if Scott hadn't taken the job. Yeah. Again, Scott heading to and a great hire, by the way, for Louisville. I agree. Uh, the, our final game that we'll do for this week, because we'll get to the rest of the games next week, it is UAB against Northern Illinois in the uh, Boca Raton Bowl at the Florida Atlantic Stadium, a place where you'd rather sip a Mai Tai or a Pina Colada <laughs> than play football. But UAB, Chris, I mean, we talk about the job that Bill Snyder did at Kansas State, you know, building that program. UAB didn't have football a couple of years ago. That program disappeared, and Bill Clark stayed, and he he has gotten them to a conference championship and just a tremendous job at UAB. It's one of the best stories, I think, in college football, UAB with a 10-3 and season and a Conference USA title. Yeah, they're playing at Legion Field, which is just getting worse and worse at stadium. And, um, you know, the facilities is a big challenge there. But he's doing it, and he's doing it with a really good defense. And uh, they don't allow a lot of points, and uh, they do a good job offensively of managing what they have. Not a ton of playmakers, but they're just physical. They play well at the line of scrimmage, as I mentioned, really good defensively. This game will be interesting for a lot of reasons because Northern Illinois doesn't have – a lot of explosive offensive talent. This is this is going to be the antithesis of the New Mexico Bowl. This is going to be a little bit line of scrimmage, run the football, and defenses here. Um, and Northern Illinois has got a really good pass rush. Sutton Smith is a big time pass rusher, um, and they they're going to need that. They're going to need to create short fields for their offense. Um, they've not played very well has Northern Illinois in bowl games going back uh, a few years now. So. This will be interesting to see if they're able to to uh, to get it together here. They, they're the MAC champs, um, and uh, they've obviously done a really solid job for several years now. So this ought to be a really good one, but it may not be the the high scoring affair that maybe a lot of fans um, that don't appreciate defenses and position football uh, may not appreciate. The Blazers, two and a half point favorites. We'll get to the remainder of the bowl schedule when we continue next week. But I got to implore you guys, learn what NFL teams and college programs already know by joining LandryFootball.com today and now get an even greater holiday discount. A perfect holiday gift for you or your loved one that gives all year long. From the film room analysis on the remaining college and NFL games this season to the analysis of the college recruiting classes, upcoming draft class, free agency, and all the latest inside information from around the college and NFL teams that Chris Landry works with on a daily basis. Don't forget 
All the coaching search inside info as well. Less than a magazine subscription. Now, even with a greater holiday discount, all you have to do is tell them where you heard about it. And you heard about it right here on Rush the Field College Football Podcast, Chris. And Scott, you know, we are uh, excited to to mention to our listeners that this podcast, we're coming up with a really concept that we're hoping to start out this Friday if we can get the technical issues worked out. It's a War Room newsletter, and it is for listeners of this podcast. All you need to do is send us your email, go to LandryFootball.com, and you go to the top of the page, and you'll see Contact Chris. Send us your email. Tell us you want to be involved in this War Room newsletter. We're going to provide you the latest information, some inside scoop that maybe didn't make our print on our website, but we want to let you in on some of the inside information around the world of football Tell you what's going to be going on here on this podcast, the latest inside information you may be missing on LandryFootball.com, as well as participate in some benefits and giveaways that we're going to be looking into um, after the first of the year. Very easy to participate. Again, go to LandryFootball.com, click on Contact Chris on the top line of the information bar on the website. Um, So uh, do me a favor, sign up today. It's free. Um, and it's critical to get it in. Uh, we're going to cut it off at some point in terms of uh, people um, participating in the contest. But if you send us your email and say you want to be in, you'll get the newsletter and you'll be entered into the contest when we get to that after the first of the year. So check us out at LandryFootball.com. And, of course, follow us on Twitter. I know uh, you can follow uh, me at LandryFootball. Uh, on Twitter. And you can follow me at Scott's On Air. Rush the Field can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. This is a Landry Football with Chris Landry. Quick Fix on Radio Influence. The thing about New England when I watch them is they're not a great team, but they're good as always. I talk about they didn't didn't play well, didn't position themselves on that final drive and that last play, but for the most part, they're well prepared. Got Brady, situational defense. So I'm looking at the AFC. I'm thinking more and more. Kansas City, New England, the Chargers. And by the way, Kansas City, they got a two-game lead over New England for home field. They got a one-game lead over the Chargers for the division. So we could see the Chiefs go from one seed to a five seed because if you're ranking the teams right now, how they're playing on film, you could make the case that the Chargers are two. They'd be the fifth seed because they'd be a wild card. How big is that game Thursday night? It, it may be, yeah, you got the hype games of the, the Rams and the Chiefs. This Chargers-Chiefs game is the biggest game because of when it is, Thursday night, primetime, arrowhead, division at stake, one seed at stake versus five seed. I mean, it's one thing to be playing a team and maybe for the one or two seed. But you're playing a division opponent that could be determined determine whether you're the one or five seed. Huge. Chris Landry brings you Landry football every week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and, of course, RadioInfluence.com.